Hello and welcome to episode, holy cow, it's 19 of Holy Crap It's Sports with Pete Davis. I'm your host, Pete Davis, for the next 30 minutes or so. We'll catch up what's going on. It is May 17th, a Friday afternoon, from the lovely broadcast studios in Sandy Springs, Georgia. Looks like a thunderstorm may be coming up. Got the Brewers in town to play the Braves, so hopefully that'll pass by. Other than that, it's going to be hot this weekend for two second-place teams going at it. Anyway, you can always reach me at Twitter. Follow me, Pete Davis one That's the number one, Pete Davis one Or write me uh, at Pete Davis one at yahoo.com. So let's get right to it. we got a lot to talk about. Like, when does Let the Kids Play kind of get out of hand? I think it kind of did in the minor leagues last night. Rest in peace, Grumpy Cat. If you haven't heard, Grumpy Cat has left us and had a baseball tie. A-Rod is on Game of Thrones, but it may not be the throne you're thinking of. Who wears the best uniforms? They asked the players. Are Cubs fans, hell, is Chicago ready for the return of Sammy Sosa? Politicians and rain delays. Bruce Willis throws like an actor. A Padre nuts up at the fans in San Diego. Injury news for the Twins, Mets, and Dodgers. And this day in baseball history. As always, brought to you by an adult beverage. Today, let's go with the, the first foreign beer I ever liked, Heineken. Ah, freshman year, Georgia State. Went there, somebody had a bathtub full of Heineken. And we ended up uh, dangling our feet over the interstate. It's it's a downtown school. Anyway, on to see what's going on. Last night, it was Thursday night, a minor league matchup in Florida between Class A advanced Fort Myers and Bradenton featured another test of baseball's unwritten rules, according to Matt Kelly of MLB. And it happened to involve one of the game's top prospects, shortstop Royce Lewis, the Twins' top-ranked prospect, baseball's number seven overall, did a quick set of push-ups, three of them, after knocking a fifth-inning double to the left center field wall. Well, that didn't sit very well with Bradenton pitcher Gavin Wallace, who then threw a pitch. He pulled a Gosman. He threw behind Lewis. He did not hit him in his next plate appearance in the sixth inning. And the umpire jumped out, the home plate umpire, and immediately ejected Wallace. And then Bradenton manager Wyatt Torregas and shortstop Robbie Glendening got into the argument, and they were tossed. He was ridiculous. They shouldn't have thrown. He didn't hit him. He just sent him a little message and threw behind him. He threw behind lower than his ass. It wasn't at his head or anything. So now everybody's saying, well, why did Lewis do the push-ups? Well, the Bradenton broadcaster, you can go online and check this out. I think it's also on MLB.com, stated that Lewis was hot-dogging at second base. That's exactly what he was doing. But the Fort Myers official Twitter, you got to hand it to him. Talk about spin. They speculated that he might have been just punishing himself for not hitting the ball farther. Hmm. When I'm thinking about somebody punishing themselves, it's not basically doing uh, push-ups at second base in front of a crowd. Anyway, Fort Myers went on to win the game 13-7, to and it kind of overshadowed a lot of other stuff that went on that was good in the game. But my question is, at what point is it uh, letting the kids play maybe just goes a little far? Because I know at some point one of these guys in the minors and majors is going to go around the uh, base paths and grab his crotch. We ready to see that? Because we've had them before flip off the fans, and, of course, they got punished not as harsh as they should have. But anyway, let's move on to the next. This is sad news. Kind of, if you're a cat lover, too, and a baseball cat lover, poor grumpy cat has left us. Chris Landers of MLB.com put out a very nice, uh, shall we say, obituary for him. The world woke up, or her, woke up to some very sad news Friday morning. Grumpy cat 
the sourpuss and beloved meme has passed away at the age of seven. Ever since her photo popped up on Reddit back in 2012, Grumpy Cat, via her unamused memes, had a truly dizzying array of merchandise and her own feature film on the Lifetime channel uh, back in 2014. And then she took over baseball. In 2015, she paid a visit to Chase Field in Phoenix and threw out the first pitch before a D-backs game. And, of course, Grumpy Cat only knows one way of being in the world, and that day was certainly no different. She was grumpy about meeting manager Chip Hale. She was grumpy about her presumably unsatisfactory uniform. And she was, for some reason, super grumpy about taking a photo with Tony La Russa, who is a renowned pet lover. He saved pets. And yet, despite being extremely over it, Grumpy Cat did what she always did. She persevered. Sure, she didn't actually throw out the first pitch. She's a cat, damn it. But she did just sort of hang out and watch and seem to maybe have a good time in her own inimitable way. Yeah, maybe she can scowl in peace somewhere in cat heaven. TMZ did a piece about her. This cat literally was so famous, it had an entourage that would follow it around of people doing grumpy cat things and making grumpy cat photos and memes and pics and posting them on Instagram and everywhere else you could find. I mean, the family probably made a tidy bundle over this. And unfortunately, at the age of seven, pretty much veterinarians say that's equals to about the age of 45 in humans. And unfortunately, just like in most humans at 45, a urinary tract infection will do you in. So let's talk about Game of Thrones events. You know, the, the finale been a rather disappointing final season, except for the first, uh, first episode. But the, the rest of them have been kind of lackluster. You know, when you have eight years to do something, uh, why don't you take a page out of the Breaking Bad book and actually do it right? But anyway, uh, hopefully they'll make up for it in this last one this Sunday night. Everyone's going to be up watching that. I hear that people are actually calling in sick already for Monday morning because of all the parties. But anyway, Alex Rodriguez is on his own Game of Thrones, and he's not happy about it. A photo of J-Lo's fiancé, or we like to say fiance, A-Rod, sitting on the toilet in their $17 million apartment in New York City is all over social media, and his lawyers are going to sue. Uh, the snap is believed to have been taken by someone working at a hedge fund in the building next door. Shows A-Rod playing on his phone while relieving himself. I hope that was a phone. Uh, Rodriguez decided against closing the curtains while visiting his marbled washroom at his pad, and he can clearly be seen sitting on the throne, according to London's Daily Mail, in a blue shirt. Uh, fortunately, uh, what was that guy's name on Game of Thrones? Little the uh, Peter Dinklage's character, Tyrion, didn't come in with a crossbow and take him out like he did his daddy. Uh, the white bathroom even has towels monogrammed with the letter A, by the way, if I guess for A-Rod. Uh, one of the hedge funds in the building next door is going to face a big lawsuit, according to the lawyers. And fortunately for Jennifer Lopez, uh, they have their own separate bathrooms. And I bet she closes the curtains from now on. I'll tell you what, in my place, well, I, I generally will close the door. I've, I've, I remember the first time I dated uh, some woman, and she left the door open. And I'm like, what are you... Oh. Her ride's here. Here's, anyway, uh, I was like, what are you doing? What are you talking about? I said, I'm, we weren't raised that way. We, we closed the door. I close the door even when there's nobody here. Of course, in the old days, when Bear I had Bear the dog, he would just push the door open and come in. Hey, what are you doing? What do you think I'm doing? Anyway, on to the next one here. According to MLB.com, they did a player's poll and asked the players, that can be dangerous, asking players questions, who has the MLB's best uniforms? They polled 85 players, 
and they said, you can vote for any team except the one you play for. So guess who tied with 10 votes at number one? The Dodgers and the Yankees. According to Astros pitcher Colin McHugh, about the Dodgers, I think they're the most classic. They haven't changed since 1940, except for the L.A. and the red number. No stripe on the pants, all blue hat. They have two uniforms. That's it. I like them. I think they're really cool. It sounds like he's going to put a Snapchat crush out on him. Uh, the Yankees also got 10 votes. Uh, something about the vertical navy lines has the unusual ability to take the anonymous likes of a Luke Voigt and turn him into a superstar for a few months, and it's true. As a nod to their storied history, they don't put names on the back of their jerseys, although there have been certainly days in this injury-riddled season when names would have helped. Anyway, Nationals catcher Jan Gomes says it's such a historic uniform, it hasn't changed or anything. They've been doing that forever. So guess who came in number two with nine votes? The Atlanta Braves did. The Braves have made some small changes this year. Their look has remained relatively static since 1987, and it seems the players like it that way. Astros outfitter Josh Reddick said, I'm going to be biased because it's my home state. He's from Savannah. But I've always loved Atlanta's, the tomahawk, especially the old school with a lowercase a. I've got one of those caps I got back in the 70s. Angels outfitter Mike Trout, of all people, said, I like the look of the Braves uniforms. And uh, frankly, if Mike Trout gives it his seal of approval, I'm all behind it. Coming in uh, fourth overall, I guess you could say, with six votes, this is a surprise. The Mariners. And according to uh, the writer here, like Criss Cross, Koosh Balls, and Steve Urkel, Teal enjoyed his peak of popularity in the 90s when the Charlotte Hornets, Jacksonville Jaguars, and yes, the M's rode the blue-green wave. The color is no longer trendy, but its impact endured with the handful of players who expressed Teal's approval. Hell, they had Teal on the outside of the uh, old Georgia Dome, which was built back in the 90s. Nationals first baseman Matt Adams said, Growing up watching King Griffey Jr. in that uni, he was my role model growing up, so that's definitely the one for me. Uh, also coming in with five votes after that, the Cardinals. A couple voters singled out the cream alternates, which are one for Saturday's home games, as the favorite, while others sided with the traditional home white. Beyond the hue and some red piping, the difference is the script-lettered St. Louis on the creams versus the Cardinals on the whites. But both feature the iconic birds on the bat logo across the chest. And i got to tell you what, as much as I give St. Louis fans grief, uh, mainly because they get a lot of uh, blowjobs from um, uh, the short guy in New York, he grew up in St. Louis, I forget his name. Anyway... Um, I like the Cardinals uniforms, always have. Uh, the D-backs also got uh, five votes. Orioles first baseman Mark Trumbo likes the throwbacks to the 01 World Series era when they beat the Yankees. The home vest look, that colors aside, was actually old school in style. But remember when they had snakeskin pants? Braves catcher Tyler Flowers likes them, says, I might be one of the few that likes their new setup over the past three years with the dark gray look. I actually think it's pretty cool. Kind of reminds me of a prison uniform, but whatever. Uh, But I like the Sedona red they had there. Uh, The Giants got four votes, which is surprising. I love the Giants, Uni. Uh, Yankees outfitter Aaron Judd says, I've always been a fan of the Giants. They've got so many different uniforms and alternates, like that cream-colored home jersey they have. That's pretty nice. The Rockies got four votes. Uh, They demonstrated some violet behavior when they made purple their primary hue on their 93 arrival, which was a nod to the Purple Mountain Majesties of America the Beautiful. Did you know that? Indian second baseman Jason Kipnis is a fan. I'm going to stay away from the Yankees because I don't want to give them any credit. I'm going to stay away from the Cubs because they beat us in the 16 World Series. I like the Rockies uniforms. To be honest, I like the purple and black.
I do too. I played on a over thirty league in the Rockies Uni. Uh, Pirates got four votes too. Pittsburgh. I mean, the whole city's black and gold. And by the way, the bumblebee yellow jerseys, the striped black pants, and the pillbox style hats of the seventies. We are family and all that. Kent Tacovi, Willie Stargell, made a uh, Rennie Stennis. Remember him? Or was it? No, am I getting that wrong? Rennie. Oh God, he played every position for him. Was it Stennis? Or is that thing about the senator from Mississippi, long dead? Anyway, I don't, Tony Sanguian. God, they, they were great. Even though they beat my uh, Orioles teams that I liked in 71 and 79, I sure did like those those Pirates players on there. Anyway, there's a Sunday throwbacks, by the way, with the pillbox hats and all that. I still see Tacolvi in that. And Mariners outfitter Malik Smith said, that black and, that black and gold is cold. <laughs> the A's got four votes. Last season, Oakland brought back the lighter Kelly Green tops to pretty much universal A claim and ultimately earned a spot on the list. As a result, three of the four votes specifically signaled out that jersey. In fact, I remember on MLB Network, they were all clamoring for that. Harold Reynolds was loving that thing. It's worn on Friday home games is the reason behind it. The A's wore that shade of green while winning three straight uh, World Series from 72 to 74 and then darkened it up for the 80s and 90s. Royals outfitter Alex Gordon says, I like the lime green and the white pants. Well, who doesn't? Uh, Mets first baseman Dominic Smith, those green ones are pretty sick. So here's some teams that got three votes. The Astros, according to Royals first baseman Ryan O'Hearn, the old ones with Nolan Ryan and the big orange stripe across the chest. I, I, you know what? I still don't know about that one. The Royals got a, three votes. Uh, let's see. Twins pitcher Kyle Gibson says the KC, when they do the gold letters, that's pretty cool. The Marlins got three votes. Mike Clevenger of the Indians says, I just like anyone who gets to use turquoise. <laughs> Their new uniforms are like some sick travel ball jerseys. I like them. Bingo long and, and the traveling all-stars and motor kings. That's what always reminded me of the Astros uniforms. Anyway, teams receiving... By the way, if you've never seen that movie, you've got to look at Billy D. Williams. Oh, my gosh. I'm thinking of all the guys I'm forgetting. The guy with the deep voice that was in Field of Dreams. I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. This is what happens, kids, when you, you've drank a lot for 30 years, even though I haven't for the last 10. Uh, it goes away and it doesn't come back. I'm not... Uh, James Earl Jones. Blah, thank you very much. Oh, there's so many great people in that, uh, that movie. Yeah, I think Richard Pryor's in it, too. Anyway, I may be wrong about that, though. Teams receiving two votes, the Blue Jays, the Padres, and the Phillies. Uh, those old Padres uniforms that people kind of like that they've kind of brought back. It reminds me of what you find when you open up a baby's diaper. I'm sorry. When I lived out there for three years, I'm glad they had changed it, even though I didn't like the pinstripes they had on them. Uh, the Phillies, eh, it's kind of you know old school, whatever. Teams receiving one vote. This is very surprising. The Cubs only got one vote. I love that little thing with the Cubs' head on it. Um, the Orioles only got one. Uh, the Rangers, the Rays, the Reds. The Reds, uh, they've been doing some old school. It's like their 150th anniversary this year. So they've been doing a lot of old school stuff that I really like. The button thing at the top and a little bit of a collar. That looks really cool. Joey Votto was sporting that. The Red Sox. Who doesn't like the Red Sox uniforms? Especially when the, the Green Monster mascot runs around in it. Uh, the Tigers. Who doesn't like the Tigers with that old English lettering of the D and all that? You can just picture Ty Cobb sliding into a base, spikes high. Come on. The White Sox. I like the 80s White Sox. I really do. 1983 style. Where the Rolling Stones actually wrote a song about that team called Winning Ugly. It's on uh, an album that didn't do too well. It's got a few hits on it. It had Harlem uh, Shuffle on it and uh, Dirty Work. That's what that's the name of the album, Dirty Work. Uh, that was a Keith 
give you a little rock and roll history. Uh, Keith and Mick weren't really talking at the time, so Mick stayed away for most of it. So you can tell that's a lot of guitar work on that album, mainly because um, Keith Richards did most of it. Uh, the team receiving just one illegal vote from a player who picked his own team was this, Josh Hader of the Brewers, and here's what he said. I think, hands down, the best uni is our Retro Fridays ones with the ball and glove and the pinstripes. I know I'm not supposed to say our own, but I don't care. I love them. If we could wear them every day, I would. I love it. At first, I always thought it was a baseball mitt. I mean, think about this. Look at the, Pull it up and look at the uh, baseball logo of the Milwaukee Brewers. When I was in high school and I got my first job, I would go to Lids and buy a bunch of baseball hats. I was wearing the Brewers out one day, and someone told me not only was it an M... There was a B in it. I only found that out a couple years ago. And it was like, you got to be kidding me. It literally is a baseball glove with the M and the B and the baseball in the middle of it. How cool is that? Anyway, speaking of cool, it's time to take another Heineken. I just found out that Heineken has a zero alcohol beer out. Now, someone who drank heavily as a professionally for 30 years, starting when I was like 17, uh, i got to tell you, Heineken, I loved Heineken. And the mere thought of drinking an old duels i just didn't understand it why would you drink a beer if there's no alcohol in it but i'm looking at that now that i don't drink much a little bit but not 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 as much as i used to i'm thinking man oh man a heineken zero i'm gonna actually try that if it tastes anything like a heineken because every once in a while on a cool day you want to suck down a really cold beer and if you're not really into the alcohol thing anymore and believe me i would if i could um you want a taste of a good cold beer like I was thinking about going out later. And you, if you sit there with a Coke in your hand, it's like, hey, have a drink. And you're just like, yeah, I don't really want one. And they give you crap about it. And it's like, look, I'm holding a beer in my hand. It's a Heineken. You just cover up the zero part. <laughs> Whatever. I'm telling you too much about myself. Anyway, by the way, I'm Pete Davis. It's Holy Crap at Sports. This is episode number 19. Sammy Sosa says he's ready to return to Wrigley Field. And he told TMZ it's been 12 years, but I'm ready to come back to Chicago. Uh, he's been missing from Wrigley since he quit playing back in the 2000s, mainly because the team chairman, Tom Ricketts, says, uh, yeah, you can come back when you come clean about your alleged PED use. You know, back when he was cheating, him and Mark McGuire were both knowingly cheating. And um, MLB and Bud Selig turned a blind eye because it was saving baseball after the strike and all that. He says, I haven't gone back to Chicago yet, but I'm going to. He's a huge Cubs fan, says he's been happily living in Miami. He's been traveling the world, actually. And he says the reason why he's yet to make a return to Illinois, well, one, it's Illinois, just kidding, and says, I haven't had time to go to Chicago, but I will. By the way, Sosa also told TMZ he hasn't had many opportunities to speak to Big Mac over the past couple of years. Looks like he's been eating a few. But he says a reunion with the Cardinals legend is also in his plans soon. I, I, I like that. Call Mark McGuire a Cardinals legend. Come on, he played for the A's most of his career. So he broke, uh, well, he didn't break Roger Maris's record. I'm sorry, neither did Barry Bonds. They didn't break Hake Aaron's record. Bonds didn't either. They're friggin' cheaters. You'll never, you'll never get me to change on that. And I'll never, if I had a vote, they would never get in the Hall of Fame. They can stand outside with Pete Rose. And their stuff is in there, but they and their face won't be in there. It's just me. There won't be no damn plaque there. That's my opinion. We welcome yours. Anyway, uh, a lawmaker in Brooklyn has decided he wants Major League Baseball to change their rules 
because he, as a New Yorker, has been inconvenienced. He's a councilman, and he lobbied Commissioner Rob Manfred for a policy about baseball rain delays. And let me, I'll be fair to the guy, uh, Councilman Justin Brandon. Maybe he's got a point about some of these. He proposes that all MLB games should start within an hour of the scheduled start time, and no games should be postponed for more than one hour. Otherwise, the umpires would call the game and prevent loyal fans from lingering endlessly, especially if they have kids there. Hmm. Well, the problem with that, it screws up scheduling later if you keep, because that would be a lot more rainouts or postponements or whatever, and that'll screw up the schedule and backload it at the end too much when bad weather starts hitting again. Anyway, but mainly he's bitching because New York City has been hit hard by rain in recent days, and as we all know, anywhere else outside of New York City, it doesn't really matter unless it happens in New York City. Case in point, when Hurricane Katrina was bearing down on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi and New Orleans and Louisiana, it was like two or three days out, and we pretty much knew it was going to hit there, the weather girl on one of the, uh, it was either Fox or CNN, was already giving the forecast for how much rain it would dump on, you got it, New York City, a week away. So that's just, once again. Uh, the Mets have been postponed. The Yankees have been rained out uh, twice this week against, I believe, the Orioles. Who knows? I think the Yankees and Orioles are obligated to play every third or fourth game the first month of the season. It just seems that way. Uh, so he wants to change a policy that would entitle fans to a rain check for a future game once a delay lasts a certain amount of time. It would keep fans from being feeling like they're ripped off. Uh, team policies, of course, vary from team to team about giving the fans tickets to a future game. And he said a family of school-age kids attending a weekday evening game, for instance, may be forced to call it a night before the outcome of a rain delay is determined. So the fans are put in the position of having to forfeit several hundred bucks after the tickets, the food, the drinks, and the souvenirs without ever seeing a single at-bat and the parking and all that as well. And he says, I'm sure that's not the experience baseball wants fans to have, and I agree with him. Uh, By the way, Brandon signed the letter, a long-suffering Mets fan, which I don't think has anything to do with the weather. And the weather had nothing to do with Bruce Willis throwing like an actor. He was moonlighting for the Phillies the other night, uh, the star of the Sixth Sense and Fifth Element in Moonlighting, threw the first pitch. And did it with his jersey, uh, number 19 jersey, before the Phillies played the Brewers Wednesday night, and he one-hopped it to pitching ace Aaron Nola. I got to say, I don't know if I would ever forgive myself if I one-hopped a pitch. And I'd have to throw from the mound, man. I always said I would do, and I mentioned this two nights ago, Gene Garber twice in, in a week, that I would have to do the spin around, duck down, and throw it sidearm, underhand, like Gene Garber did, and throw a perfect strike. That's what I think of, but I'd probably not. I'd probably just haul back and throw it as hard as I could like Nolan Ryan. Anyway, Willis took his cuts in batting practice, and he says he just likes to swing the ball. By the way, he grew up in southern New Jersey. He says, I just like to hit the ball. I like the noise. <laughs> By the way, Bruce Willis is 64 years old now, and afterwards he was chatting with Gabe Kapler and some of the media in the um, locker room or Gabe's uh, little room about whether uh, – the 1988 classic Die Hard is a Christmas movie. And Gabe Kapler says, no, it is not. Most Christmas movies are centered around the celebration of Christmas in some way or another, right? They have a little point there. So Ian Kinsler, of all people, is bitching about the fans in San Diego. Of all, Okay, I've lived in Atlanta most of my life, and I lived in San Diego for three years. If there's one place that has more laid-back fans than Atlanta, it's San Diego. Anyway, Kinsler hit a big old three-run homer. Let me see it. It was a big-ass three-run homer to put the Padres ahead of the Pirates last night. And then he had a profane outburst as he crossed home plate, and then he did it in the dugout. 
and everybody heard it. Uh, fans on social media felt it was directed at them. It was. And manager Andy Green said it was not the right response. Most people that hit a home run don't really go off like that. He's not been a fan favorite there because he just signed that $8 million two-year deal, hasn't been playing very well. And he said, well, no, I was cussing. That was for my teammates. It had nothing to do with the fans. Bullshit. It's for my teammates. It's an inside thing with them. Just trying to get everybody fired up. We had a tough road trip. I'm a passionate player. I tried to get my teammates going. That was it. <laughs> he declined to say exactly what he said. So you can probably go online and find out. Kinsler's homer in reaction overshadowed the Padres setting the major league record. Maybe that's why he did it. They've gone 8,020 games without a no-hitter since their inception. I am so shocked that Randy Jones, remember him? The left-handed single ball, sinker baller from the 70s. He used to give everybody fits, especially the Braves. I can't believe he didn't throw one. But anyway, I think he threw a one-hitter, though, at one point. Uh, the Padres have been around since 1969. They've never thrown one. They broke the Mets record. And they're the only major league team, by the way, without a no-hitter, which is bull. The previous longest record of 8,019 games without a no-hitter from the franchise's inception was by the Mets, who got their first no-hitter by Johan Santana, June 1st, 2012. Two things about that. One, a lot of people said he stayed in there so long and threw so many pitches, he was never the same pitcher after that. He wasn't. And another thing was, but, you know, here's the thing. Would you give up the rest of your career and he'd had a good career with the twins and Mets up to that point would you give up the rest of your career to be immortal with a no hitter I think I would if it was a perfect game especially anyway everybody during that game by the way saw the ball hit the chalk on the third base line I forget who they were playing the ball hit the chalk the chalk bounced in the air everybody in Christendom saw it except the third base umpire the Padres have had pitchers take no-hitters into the eighth and beyond several times. Uh, let's see, they, they think they're cursed, the fans do, because manager Preston Gomez lifted Clay Kirby after eight no-hit innings against the Mets June 21st, 1970. Uh, by the way, some injury news here. The Twins have put D.H. Nelson Cruz on the injured list with a left wrist strain. He was pulled from Sunday's game against the Tigers. He aggravated the wrist swinging. He's 38 years old. Cruz is batting 277 homers, 22 RBIs. By the way, the, tw- the Twins leading the AL Central. Uh, the Mets... Right fielder Michael Conforto has a concussion after he collided with his teammate Robinson Cano during a loss to the Nationals on Thursday. Uh, They were chasing a pop fly by Howie Kendrick down the right field line, and Cano's shoulder connected with Conforto's jaw. And when you look at it from afar, it didn't look like that big of a deal, but he went down like a sack of potatoes, slow to get up, and they pulled him out immediately. He will not accompany the team to Florida for the three-game series with the Marlins that starts tonight, and he's going to take the train from Washington to New York to get the doctors to look at him. And, of course, his typical Mets luck this year, he had just hit Conforto, did a three-run homer to right field in the third inning, a pretty good one too. His third homer of the week. Uh, earlier, Mets left fielder Jeff McNeil left in the middle of the third inning with a. Uh, no, there's Jeff's ride. That, no, that's the train leaving to uh, New York. Uh, Mr. Conforto, your train is here. Anyway, uh, let's see. Abdominal tightness McNeil has left the game. He was batting 354, which is second in the majors. Got two homers, 14 RBIs. He had four hernia surgeries. Four. I've got one of those in my future sometime. And my doctor, last time I took an x-ray, he goes, well, you've got uh, two of them. One, they're very deep down there. And so maybe you won't have to worry about it. Then he rolled his eyes. 
Anyway, uh, McNeil's had four hernia surgeries. Says he has tightness every once in a while. Takes him two or three days to get over it. Yowza. The Dodgers have put uh, right-handed starter Kenta Maeda on the 10-day IL with left adductor contusion. I will not, uh, you know, I'm not going to even play doctor on the radio. I don't know what that is. Yeah, Maeda is 5-2, and two, nine starts this season with 3.51 ERA, 52 strikeouts. Best outing of the season over the Padres Wednesday. Struck out 12 without a walk in just uh, under seven innings. So before we get to today in baseball history, another little sip of the Heineken. Good stuff, Maynard. Today in baseball history, I wish you could do it like James Earl Jones. 1893, May 17th, Phillies outfitter Billy Hamilton, no, not the Reds or the Royals, Billy Hamilton, but Phillies outfitter Billy, became the first player to hit both a leadoff and a walk-off home run in the same game. He did it off Al Mall uh, <laughs> to give him a win over Washington at the Philadelphia baseball grounds. This is before Shiba Park and later became Connie Mack Stadium. The 27-year-old uh, future Hall of Famer's performance will not be duplicated again for, let's see, 57, for 64 years until Vic Power accomplished the feat for the A's back in 1957. On this day in 1945, every game on the American League schedule was rained out for the fourth consecutive day. Play ball will not be heard today in Chicago, St. Louis, Detroit, Cleveland, as the White Sox, Browns, Tigers, and Indians call off their games with the Yankees, Red Sox, A's, and Senators. How weird is that? And they talk about climate change. On this day in 1970 at Crosley Field, Cincinnati, Braves outfitter Hank Aaron got his 3,000th hit when he got an infield single. Can you imagine that? Hammering Hank, an infield single off of Reds pitcher Wayne Simpson. Hammering Hank, just the ninth player in Major League history to get to 3,000, and the first one, to also have 500 home runs. On this day in 1971, Tom McCraw hit perhaps the shortest home run in baseball history. A 140-foot round tripper, the result of three Indians colliding to try and catch the ball, which was a short pop fly to left center near second base. On this day, also in 71, with his walk-off homer, Ralph Beep Beep the Roadrunner Gar hit a major league or tied a major league record for the most round trippers in extra innings. He goes deep in the 10th and 12th frames and the Braves' 4-3 win over the Mets. The Atlanta left fielder, is the fourth player to accomplish the feat and the first to do it since 66 when Art Shamsky did it for the Reds at Crosley. On this day in 1973 at Anaheim Stadium, a horrific injury dampens Bobby Valentine's promising career. I had his baseball card back then. He really was a good player. Uh, his spikes got caught in the outfield's chain-link fence. He was trying to catch a home run ball by Dick Green. The 23-year-old Valentine, who was pretty fast, was hitting 400 in April, suffered a multiple compound leg fracture, will miss the rest of the season. Basically, he was a utility player after that for the Padres, Mets, and Mariners. I mean, he had what a great career just ended so early. 1985, the Rangers fire skipper Doug Rader and replace him with the Mets third base coach Bobby Valentine. Hmm. Two Valentine references. Before returning to New York in 96 to manage his former team, Bobby V had a 581 and 605 record. That's below 500 during his eight seasons in Texas. A little story about Doug Rader, redheaded third baseman, really good third baseman for the, I think, the Astros. I mainly remember him. Jim Bouton, in his book Ball Four, talks about uh, Doug Rader. He didn't like people knocking on his door like uh, religious people or stuff, you know, to try and save him. So if they were trying to sell something or anything or save his soul, he would answer the door buck naked. 
On this day in 2016, the Braves fired manager Freddie Gonzalez after the team gets off to a 9-28 start. That's a game worse than the first 37 games played by the 1962 Mets, which is considered one, if not the worst team in baseball history. And if you remember, it was Freddie Gonzalez that was in charge of one, if not the biggest collapse in baseball history when the Braves collapsed and the Cardinals overtook them. Then the Cardinals uh, also going to win the World Series. No, I think they just got to the World Series. Who cares anyway? All right, that's another episode of uh, Holy Crap It's Sports, episode number 19. Can we, we've done 19 already. That's pretty cool. And we've done three this week. Very proud of that. Anyway, if I, so at some point I'm going to have to decide if I want to do it every day or do it every other day. We'll find out. Uh, see if maybe we'll do one this weekend as well. Depends on what's going on. Anyway, thanks, uh, especially uh, Mike and Esther, for uh, helping the show, and, and Chloe. And uh, there was some... some Actually, argument today whether uh, this lady's name is Chloe or Chloe. So if you're listening, give me a holler and tell me. Anyway, and everybody else that pays attention, Vivin and everyone, I really do appreciate all, all our listeners. If you're listening in New York, if you're listening in Australia, if you're listening in Europe, please uh, write me and tell me where you listen. It's really cool to hear from you guys, Australia and all that. It's really cool. We're trying to get someone in Fiji to pay attention. Because at some point, I'm going to end up in either Tahiti or Fiji. So I want to you know, start making friends. Anyway, everybody have a good night. Enjoy a nice Heineken. Have a lovely, wonderful, safe weekend. And, uh, hey, our first uh, ambulance. It's our first siren in weeks. Anyway, don't hear any sirens this weekend because you're the cause of it. Drink up, Shriners. <laughs>